This is The Guardian. Today, how a wildfire in Hawaii devastated its historic capital. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. For as long as I can remember, Hawaii has always been a shorthand for paradise. About 2,000 miles from the US mainland, this collection of relaxed, tropical islands are a magnet for tourists. With Maui as one of its idyllic crown jewels, and the former capital of Lahaina, its most visited spot. Kind of the anchor point in Lahaina is Front Street, and that's where you have all these historic buildings in front of the harbour. There are shops, there are beautiful palm trees and a 150-year-old banyan tree that's very beloved in this community, that its limbs sweep over almost an acre. But last week, wildfires broke out on Maui, and they have ravaged parts of the island. More than 1,000 people are missing, and over 100 people have died. They have become the deadliest fires in the United States in over a century. And they're still burning. It's quite perilous. You have a town that has been utterly wrecked and devastated. It looks like the entire town was bombed. And then... 30 miles away, you have parts of the island that just look completely normal, that almost appear as business as usual, where the weather is beautiful, where there are still some tourists. So it's this very odd juxtaposition of tourists enjoying the beauty of Maui and thousands of people reckoning with this horrific event that's forever changed their lives. Scientists have been warning that Hawaii was at risk because of the spread of flammable, invasive grasses on the islands and the effects of climate change bringing more extreme weather. Oh my gosh, look at the harbour. Oh my gosh! This looks like Baghdad or something. The scale of horror has stunned locals. But with some holidaymakers still determined to fly in, Tensions are rising. The same waters that our people just died in three days ago are the same waters the very next day these visitors, tourists, were swimming in. And that says a lot about where their heart and mind is through all of this and where our heart and mind is. There is two Hawaii's right now. There's the Hawaii we're living in and the Hawaii they're living in, they're visiting in. Officials are focusing on search and rescue efforts. And while Maui grapples with a local economy dominated by tourism, families mourn their loved ones. From The Guardian, 
I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, how will Hawaii recover from the deadliest fire in its history? Danny Angriano, you're the West Coast reporter for The Guardian US and the author of a book on deadly fires. You're currently on the ground in Maui. Can you tell me, first of all, about the geography of the island and how many people live there? Maui is the second largest of the Hawaiian islands. It's one of the most populated islands. There are about 170,000 people who live here. And visually, it's a really fascinating, beautiful place because you have these mountains and volcanoes and then the beach in front of you. It's kind of the iconic image that comes to mind when you think of the Hawaiian islands. And what can you tell me about the town of Lahaina, which has seen the worst of the fires that have been ripping through Maui? The town of Lahaina is a historic town. This is the former capital of the Hawaiian kingdom. It is a town that's of great significance to the history of these islands and also to native Hawaiians. Lahaina is also really beloved by tourists. It's one of the places that people tell you to go if you're going to Maui. So tourism is the main business here? Every four out of five dollars on this island come from tourism. The industry represents almost 75 percent of all jobs here. And as far as the socioeconomics of this island, the percentage of households in Maui that are living in poverty has been on the rise for the last few years. It's gone up from about six percent in 2018 to 16 percent in 2022. And I think it's probably safe to guess that part of that has to do with COVID. COVID hit the tourism industry really hard here, and Maui's only just been beginning to recover in the last year or so. And then came these fires. I mean, Danny, watching the footage and going through the coverage since the fires began last week has been really horrifying. I mean, it doesn't look like the Hawaii that a lot of us might think of, the honeymooners paradise that it has been for decades. I mean, a lot of the pictures of the devastation do make it look like a war zone, and you can see that the scale of damage is epic. Can you talk me through how it began? So within the days leading up to the fire, there were warnings that a hurricane was going to be bringing powerful winds to this part of the Hawaiian islands. Um, This is weather that fires thrive in, and when there's a lot of wind, it can lead to fires that spread rapidly. And this island, it's sandwiched between high pressure in the north and this low pressure system from this hurricane. And those differences in air pressure can drive unusually strong winds. Residents have told me that it was a scary, unsettling wind, that it didn't feel safe to be outside. And in that environment, that's where the fire started. We don't know exactly how it broke out yet, but it came with this ferocious wind that allowed it to spread rapidly. If anybody's still out here, it's time to go! If anybody's still out here, it's time to go! We can quite clearly see the town of Lahaina now, and what you can make out is the blackened landscape above the town, where the grass was burning. The fire spread rapidly through vegetation, burning through dry brush. This is an area that's been uh, struggling with drought. So the fire just burned through this brush incredibly quickly and then rapidly spread into populated areas. You had wind gusts of up to 70 miles an hour, just fanning these flames. And from there, it spreads from building to building, um, in part with embers that are 
coming from the main body of the fire, moving forward and igniting the next building on fire. There's nothing like it. There, There isn't a Lahaina left. There's no Lahaina Harbor. There's no Mala Wharf. Every restaurant is burned. All the neighborhood, like the Johto Mission, all those homes on Front Street are completely burned to the ground. Danny, can you tell me what we know about the dead and the missing so far? Authorities are supposed to start releasing the first identities of the deceased this week, but some of the stories that we have heard from family members suggest that some of the people who died in this fire were elderly, they struggled to evacuate, and that the fire also moved so quickly that even people who were able-bodied were still overwhelmed by flames as they tried to leave. So by Tuesday, the number of dead was nearing 100, but officials have warned that that would continue to grow, that they expected to find between maybe 10 to 20 people a day over the next week and a half. But what we know right now is that as of Tuesday, about 25% of Lahaina has been searched. There are around 20 dogs in the area searching for human remains. People lost everything, homes, jobs, their cars, some their pets. There's still people missing. I've never seen something ravaged so fast. And Danny, are the fires still burning and how many have been contained? The Lahaina fire is still burning. We know that it is about 85% contained, and that firefighters are still trying to get a hold on that as this recovery effort is underway. So in addition to the fire that destroyed Lahaina, there's another fire burning, which is called the Upcountry Fire. That fire is approaching 700 acres. It is about 60% contained. And what about people's homes, their businesses and livelihoods? What does the scale of damage look like there? It looks incredibly severe. What we know is that there were over 2,000 structures destroyed. Most of those were homes. The other thing that factors in is for people whose homes weren't destroyed, their lives have also been completely upended. They're not able to operate their businesses. They're rushing to help their neighbors. And then many of these people are not able to access their homes, even if they are still standing. Here I am walking into Lahaina. After checking my neighbor's house, which is destroyed and gone, here's the scene on Front Street, just a little bit down from the banyan tree. It is truly apocalyptic. And what has happened to the thousands of people who have lost their homes or can't get to their homes and are now displaced? There are hundreds of people in some of the shelters that have opened up around the island. There's also a large contingency of people who are not in shelters, but who are seeking refuge with friends and family members. So there are evacuation centers across the island, some opened by the Red Cross with the county and others that have opened in churches and schools. The governor in Hawaii is also looking ahead to longer term housing plans. They're planning on housing thousands of people in the many hotels on Maui. They're also working to use Airbnbs to provide housing to people, and they expect that to be a long-term project. They've talked about this going for for at least 
in the initial response for several months, but they expect that this could take years as people try to rebuild. These are full fuel cans. A lot of the people inside the disaster zone depend on generators for cooking. So this, of course, is a vital lifeline. And over here, something else badly needed, fresh drinking water. And Danny, you've been talking to locals about what they've been through. What kind of stories are you hearing? Incredibly harrowing stories. I spent some time this morning with a woman from Lahaina who, during the fire, she received no warning and basically came outside to her street on fire. She tried to flee with her 69-year-old mother and found that the roads were completely blocked. Flames were burning everything around them. And in this case, this group had no choice but to leave the vehicle and run to the one safe place they could see, which was the ocean. So this woman and her mother, who couldn't swim, got into the water with a couple other dozen people and spent almost 12 hours there in the water while everything around them was burning. Embers are landing on them, and they were having to just splash themselves with water to try to keep themselves from catching on fire. I just, I can't imagine, like, you with your 69-year-old mother, who, again, like you said, can't swim, and it must be terrifying to just look out at what's happening in front of you. Right. This woman, Carol, she was telling me how she couldn't stop thinking of the worst-case scenario. She was thinking, what happens if my mother passes out? There's there's no first responders here. I'm going to have to perform CPR. All the while, she is trying to comfort her mother, who's very nervous in the water, who's who's panicking, and she's trying to tell her, while everything is burning around them, she's trying to tell her mom, I, I think the worst is behind us. Danny, of course, amongst all of this, there are tens of thousands of tourists who were on holiday in Maui when the fires broke out. What happened to them? Well, tens and thousands of people have left Maui since these fires broke out. Last week, the, the numbers were changing day to day. It was you know, 12,000 and then 15,000 people, but people were rushing to leave the island. There are still some tourists here, but it certainly appears that the vast majority have left. When I drove by the airport and saw this sea of rental cars out uh, on the airport grounds, just as far as the eye can see, because Maui typically gets tens of thousands of visitors a day. At the airport, a chaotic scene as tourists desperately try to get home, many sleeping at the small airport until they can get a flight out. Some with cuts and bruises, each with their own harrowing story of survival. This family from California jumped in the water to escape the flames. This ocean almost sucked my kids away a few times. We stuck together. We held on. We're not going to die this way. No. And we're here. We're alive. As you said, the trauma inflicted on Hawaii's people through this epic damage of these wildfires seems unbearable. And yet at the same time, it is still having to cope with being this major holiday destination and deal with this industry that is crucial to the local economy. Danny, how is it managing? It's a really tricky balance. I think people recognize that so much on this island is dependent on tourism And it's very tricky because people want this island to thrive. They want their businesses and their friends' businesses to survive. But they also really, really need this space to deal with 
a disaster that is unprecedented on this island. And so I hear a lot of people wrestling with that. Um, but I think people just have been really heartened by the response. I, I heard of a doctor who was on vacation here who she has stayed on the island to help volunteer at the shelters and treat people. And in the meantime, it looks well, it looks a bit shocking from here to see that tourists are still flying in. We've seen Paris Hilton spotted on holiday in Maui in the last week, apparently blithely sunbathing on the beach. What's the message from Hawaii's officials and its tourist board at the moment? Well, the tourist officials have been very clear that Western Maui is not open to tourists. That area is closed. It is an active emergency there. There are still there there is still fire burning. So officials have been very clear that Maui needs time to deal with this disaster. But people are still coming. I will say when I flew here, it was uh, pretty much an empty flight except for some emergency personnel who are coming to respond to the disaster. But there certainly are still tourists on Maui. I think we've seen messages from high profile people saying, don't come here. Jason Momoa, who is from Hawaii, has urged people not to come here. He said, this is not the time for your vacation. This is a time for Maui to respond to this disaster and and try to recover. Danny, Maui isn't the first place I would have thought of when it comes to wildfires. Volcanoes, yes. Tropical thunderstorms, yes. But actually, how common are they there? Well, Maui's also not the first place that that I would have thought of when it comes to fire. And that's because, you know, historically, fires were once a a rarity across Hawaii. But with the climate crisis, we're seeing record-breaking temperatures. And in Hawaii and in Maui, we have forest loss and abandoned farmland that has led to more combustible non-native grasses here. And it's turned certain areas of this island into a tinderbox. So you have this confluence of factors, human decisions to rid the island of its native forest, to make room for sugarcane and pineapple and some of the other crops that have been really common here over the last century, and then also climate change. Climate change, as we know, is leading to increased frequency of extreme weather events. And this was kind of a perfect storm here. Was there a warning system in place? And did people receive any notification before the fires hit the town? From the people that I've spoken to and and widespread reports, it seems as if no one received any warning at all. Um, there are, are sirens across the island that are typically used for hurricanes. Those never sounded. Uh, emergency alerts that were sent to phones and TVs and, and radio stations... Officials say those might not have been received at all because of the widespread power outages due to the wind. So people here really had no warning of this disaster. We did not get an evacuation. We kind of just figured it out on our own. When the neighborhood next to us was completely engulfed, black smoke, we couldn't even see anything. It was crazy. Danny, how have the emergency services on the ground coped? Were they prepared? What we've heard is that the firefighting force here is really limited. The president of the Hawaii Firefighters Association has told journalists that crews in Maui County are limited to about 65 firefighters, and they're responsible for battling ignitions across three islands. 
and all of their fire engines are only equipped for navigating city roads, which really limits their ability to attack fires before they reach communities like Lahaina. And we saw how that played out during the fire. So officials in Hawaii, they have said it time and time again over the last few days that the focus right now is on the immediate aftermath of the disaster. That's recovering remains and supporting survivors. But they've also acknowledged that things do appear to have gone wrong. The attorney general has launched a review. One of the senators of Hawaii said that it will take time for investigations to happen. I'm not going to make any excuses for this tragedy, but the attorney general has launched a review of what happened with those sirens and some of the other actions that were taken. So that is happening. And uh, there will be uh, time enough, I would say, for those kinds of uh, reviews and investigations to occur. But we are really focused, as far as I'm concerned, on the need for rescue and, um, um, well, the the location of, uh, we know, sadly, more bodies. And what about President Biden? I mean, Hawaii is part of the U.S. It was the last state to join in 1959. So what support are the islands now getting from the federal government? Last week, President Biden approved a disaster declaration. And what that does is it opens up federal funding that can include things like grants for temporary housing, as well as loans to help cover property losses for people who didn't have home insurance. When people look at a natural disaster like this, they would have expected we're sending troops, we're we're sending aid workers, there's helicopters, there's, you know, supplies being, you know, shipped in. Has there been any kind of that response? Or was that not really expected in this situation? I think people on this island were really expecting a very visible response from the government. I will say from some of the other disasters I've covered, I've seen, you know, National Guard troops on the ground. The visible presence was a lot more evident in other disasters I've covered. I just haven't seen that to the same extent here. I've seen a lot of uh, local agencies responding. So, residents here are quite disappointed. They they expected a lot more federal support. It seems like so much of the responses instead fall into community groups and local residents who've taken it upon themselves to get together donations and bring them to the people who have been affected by these fires. Danny, why has the response been so lacking? I think that's a question that a lot of residents are asking themselves. I've heard some people compare it to the government's response to Hurricane Katrina. Um, There are a couple factors at play, or at least people have speculated. One, that Hawaii is quite remote from the mainland. So though there are federal resources here, they aren't seeing the kind of widespread organized response that they had hoped to see. A lot of the infrastructure on the western side of the island was lost, which has made it very difficult to coordinate recovery efforts there. Coming up, how vulnerable has climate change left these paradise islands? Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. 
Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Danny, it's been a summer of scorching global heat and wildfires, and you have been reporting on the impact of climate change for quite some time now. Has what's happened in Maui likely to be a one-off disaster, or is the area now at greater risk of this type of extreme weather? What we know is that Maui and large swaths of Hawaii are at greater risk for extreme weather. I think that that's true here, just as it is in across the world. Unfortunately, the lesson I think we've all learned is that these extreme events we will keep seeing. Maui and Lahaina will not be the last community lost to fire. Finally, are there any other signs of hope for this community amid all the destruction? What I try to remember in this, and in this disaster, just as in other disasters I've covered, it's incredible the way that people, just regular people, see that something bad has happened and mobilize to help. It's stories like that that I think are the bright spot in all of this. And in this case, I think a real testament to the sense of community that exists on Maui. There is the beloved tree that I mentioned, the banyan tree, the 150-year-old tree that has been here since long before Hawaii was a part of the U.S. And That tree was badly burned in this fire, but it is still standing. And the governor described it as still breathing, that it's absorbing water and producing sap. So that has sparked hope that 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 tree might make it and and could serve as a sign of resilience for this community. A little miracle tree. Nice to think about. Danny, thank you. Thank you. That was Danny Anguiano, breaking news reporter on the West Coast for Guardian US. 
Her book, Fire in Paradise, an American Tragedy, co-authored with Alistair G, is out now. You can also read her reporting on this story from Maui by searching Hawaii Fires at theguardian.com. And a heads up for this Friday's episode of Politics Weekly America. In it, Joni Grieve and Sam Levine are looking at the indictment against Donald Trump in Georgia. They're explaining everything you need to know about the case against the former president. You can find that tomorrow wherever you listen to this episode. And that's it for today. I'm Nasheen, and this episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Eli Block. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We're back again tomorrow. Is the Guardian. 